I thought it was going to take six months. My wife kind of gave me six months to give this a try. And after six months, she said, are you done with your little adventure? And I said, sweetie, I thought I was going to need six months to build a solar field. But it turns out we need to build the entire field of solar energy generation in Israel and the Middle East. Welcome to the Green Hour, a community of innovators, activists, and government leaders in the world of sustainability. Each week, you will hear from a leader in sustainability to help unlock your mind to a greener future. Hey guys, I'm Preston Polk, and we are live in New York City at the Concordia Annual Summit with Yosef Abramowitz, CEO of Gigawatt Global, a solar powerhouse in the renewable energy sector. Yosef, aptly nicknamed Captain Sunshine, will take us on a journey through his remarkable career, discussing Gigawatt Global's mission to bring affordable green power to underserved communities. As a Nobel Peace Prize nominee, Yosef shares insights into the profound impact that sustainable energy can have on fostering peace and prosperity. We delve into his role as a co-founder of the solar industry in Israel, exploring the challenges and triumphs of pioneering an industry that has become synonymous with innovation and environmental stewardship. Join us as we uncover the story of a true green pioneer and the trailblazing efforts of Gigawatt Global in shaping a more sustainable future for us all. Walk around neighborhoods across the United States and you may see something strange looking on top of houses. Panels that are attached to the roofs of homes. These panels are not there for the aesthetic, but for power generation. Solar panels capture the power of the sun to generate electricity without emitting harmful pollutants. These panels have cells that can grab the sun's light and turn it into power we can use for our homes and buildings. It's like magic, but really it's just the sun helping us make clean and renewable energy. So when you see those shiny panels on rooftops, know that they're capturing sunlight to give us electricity without making a mess. So what if you have a whole field of these panels? Well, instead of a solar panel, it becomes a solar field. A solar field is like a big sunny garden, but instead of growing plants, it grows electricity. Imagine lots of flat panels like supersized rectangles sitting on the ground. These panels are like big shiny leaves that catch the sun's rays. When the sun shines on them, they take that sunlight and turn it into electricity. So a solar field is like a giant sun power generator, making clean energy for neighborhoods and towns. Joining us on the Green Hour today is someone who built the first solar field in Israel. Yosef Abramowitz is the CEO of Gigawatt Global, a multinational renewable energy company focused on the development and management of utility-scale solar fields in emerging markets. Yosef has not only been a transformative force in Israel, but in the region of East Africa, bringing solar energy to communities that were once in the shadows. As a key figure in the solar industry, 
Yosef has led the charge in developing and managing utility-scale solar fields in East Africa, illuminating the region with sustainable and affordable power. His pioneering efforts have not only sparked a solar revolution, but have also empowered underserved populations with access to clean energy. And funny enough, Gigawatt Global built its first solar field in the U.S. back in 2016 in my home state of Georgia. Yosef Abramowitz, often affectionately referred to as Captain Sunshine, stands as a visionary leader at the forefront of the global renewable energy movement. Notably, Yosef's contributions extend beyond business success. His endeavors have earned him recognition, including multiple Nobel Peace Prize nominations, which underline the profound impact of his work in promoting environmental sustainability and social responsibility. Yosef has not only demonstrated the feasibility of large-scale solar energy, but has also proven its transformative potential. Yosef's message is clear. The time for widespread adoption of solar energy has arrived, and it's up to us to embrace and amplify this vital call for a greener and more sustainable world. Welcome back to The Green Hour. We're joined by Yosef Abramowitz, a solar pioneer and often referred to as Captain Sunshine, <laughs> which I love. I love. I was telling them before, I was like, we need to put on the song, um, You Are My Sunshine, like, uh, like right away. That would, that would be great. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us. Like I said, I haven't had a conversation with anyone on solar, so this is going to be a really enlightening conversation. Oh, nice. Enlightening. I got it. There it is. Okay. So we'll start off by um, talking about the work that you did in Israel mm. back in 2011 and really bringing the first solar field there. Yeah. There, there'd never been solar there, and you brought solar to Israel. Can you start off by talking about how that happened and the, the, uh, the positive effects from it? All right. Well, thank you. It's great to be on the Green Hour. Thank you, uh, Preston. And I'm glad we're going to fill in your solar gap because then the next, <laughs> like, 10 shows, you're going to hopefully right. have different iterations of it until everybody wakes up and realizes it is the cheapest, most effective energy on the planet today. And um, uh, it needs to be roll out all over the globe as quickly as possible. My journey uh, started in the south of Israel. I had moved with my family, five kids and a wife, from Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, wow. Where we were, I was involved in education as well as political and social activists. So my background was like, I used to love beating up governments for really good and just causes. I never thought it had a business application until August 24th, 2006. The end of the day, we roll up in a huge van with 14 suitcases, five tired kids. We open the, the air-conditioned doors, uh, air-conditioned um, van doors, and we are hit with the most incredible heat. And it shouldn't have been unexpected, but we're from Boston, you know, mild. And um, we get out, and I didn't know at the time that it's the third most extreme desert in the world. This is from the Red Sea to the Dead Sea. The sun is setting. The last rays are just right over the tips of the mountain, and it's like a cartoon, like a just Superman laser beams going, <laughs> burning seven Bostonians in an instant. And I say, oh, I'm sure the whole place works in solar power. Because <laughs> how could you not right. think that? And they're like, nope. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. So 
thought maybe in the region. Nope. And they're like, I know he's just like a world leader on technology and something. And they're like, yes, but no one's crazy enough to take on the government and the monopolies. And I'm like, I'm just hit with the vision. I love beating up governments for good causes. At this point, uh, the climate issue was just kind of bubbling. Uh, and maybe it was before, but I was not a climate activist before. I want to, I want to be clear. And the vision was, let's get the first region in the world to go 100% solar, from the Red Sea to the Dead Sea, as a positive example to everybody. And we can totally win this climate battle. It's going to be easy because it made so much sense. Right. Sometimes, sometimes there's solutions like that that feel like they're right in front of you and then no one's done them. And you're like, why has nobody done it? Um, so is that, did you kind of feel that? I mean, it sounds like you did. Like when you're looking out and seeing this opportunity, I mean, there's just vast wealth of, of heat, of heat that you can use in solar. Heat and light, yeah. So, like, I think what happens with entrepreneurs is that people like me, to get us to do something, you have to say it's impossible. Because then, if you can see it, you know it can be done. And because I had a record of changing government's minds on human rights and other issues, I was like, I could see it. And I thought it was going to take six months. My wife kind of gave me six months to give this a try. And after six months, she said, are you done with your little adventure? And I said, sweetie, I thought I was going to need six months to build a solar field. But it turns out we need to build the entire field of solar energy generation in Israel and the Middle East, from the local planning council all the way up to the prime minister's office. At that point, we made a list of 100 political, regulatory, and statutory battles we would have to win to de-risk so the investment would come in. Great partners is on an agricultural community called the Ketura Kibbutz, and the chairman of the board has a lot of business experience. We brought in a, a partner from New Jersey, very strategic guy, David Rosenblatt, and together we kind of, they said, if you, if you can win the political battles, we'll figure out the financing. Meanwhile, everyone in the country is saying you're a naive American kibbutznik, like, you know, in this agricultural, <laughs> it'll never work. Right. It's like, baby, them fighting words. Yeah. Look, at the time, there was no precedent in the world to take a region to 100%. There was no business model and the technology, no one had any confidence. So it wasn't for bad reasons people were saying it. But if we can do that there, then hopefully Israel, Middle East, Africa could do it. And if, and if that can happen, that could happen worldwide. So the vision was actually we weren't allowed to fail because the upside for humanity, the planet, and my impact investors is just it's huge. Right. Someone's got to do it. So right. why not us? Why not? Yeah, so you mentioned 2006 is, is that, that time that it really sparked. We're sitting here in 2023, mm. and you mentioned technology and, and how mm. technology wasn't at the forefront then. How much have you seen technology change for solar in, in that time period? Look, it's not so much about the change in technology than the economies of scale through Moore's Law. So when we did our first business models, it was $8 million a megawatt installed. After we won 100 out of 100 battles, it took about five years. The price was 
$8 million that Megawatt installed. By the time I did, we did our next fields, it's about $2 million of Watt installed. Today, at least in, let's say, no-risk, low-risk countries, it's a dollar or less, a million dollars or less per megawatt installed. That is a revolution, not brought about by cutting-edge new technologies, but it really is about the economies of scale um, and the de-risking and supply chains. Um, there are a lot of new technologies, and we're, we're at the forefront of them. I'm a judge in what's called the Climate Solutions Prize. We give away millions of dollars for what is coming next, um, uh, that's, that's for uh, Israeli research and, and technology companies. So there's a lot in the works. All of our fields in Israel are cleaned every day by solar-powered robots that are waterless. Because oh, wow. one of the objections was, you can't build in the desert because of all the dust and everything. Well, we solved for that with our partners. They're like, you can't build in the desert, it's too hot. The panels will underperform. But you want to use local knowledge. It's true of Africa, too. But we had local knowledge that actually uh, was wiser than all the big energy companies and their fancy-schmancy um, models and were, were overproducing, according to their estimates, but we're on target. So technology is changing. Obviously, storage and I call it aftermarket. We have algorithms that can make fields more efficient or, or spot problems before they become problems. We got the robots. We got lots of things coming down the yeah. back. I, I didn't even know that about the robots. That's uh, super interesting. And then you, you talk about winning 100 out of 100 battles. Is, is that, is that awful. true? Yeah, it's awful, though. Wow. Um, 100 out of 100. But look, it's um, on the one hand, I was like, we got this. Right. Um, and actually, the first region in the world that's 100% solar during the day is from the Red Sea to the Dead Sea. We did it by 2020, yeah. like a decade ahead of the world. Everyone's saying by 2030, we need yeah, 2030 half, right? is the number, right? Right? But we're about to hit, in the next two years, 100% night and day, meaning the 2050 mm -hmm. goals, we're hitting a generation before the rest of the planet as proof of concept, as pilot, as actually, this is not some futuristic thing. Like, it's all bogus, all these international long-term 2015 net zero, it's bogus. We can actually do it today if there's political will. Right. Yeah, I look at it from a business aspect of, for companies and their ESG goals, right? They're, they're, they're saying, oh, by 2040, you know, we'll do this and that. And I'm like, well, what are we doing today that's going to get us to 2040? Um, 2040 is a long way away, so how are we going to get there? And I think a lot of times it, it can come down to, when, when investors are looking, they're trying to please the investors and they're, and they're throwing those words out there saying, oh, we're doing this by 2040. But I'll allude to your point of you all achieved this in 2020 and in two years, night and day, 100% renewable by solar. That's incredible. Well, I mean, thank you, team effort, but it stands in sharp contradiction to exactly what the international norms are and the international goals. Now, some people are saying, okay, you're in a very sunny region. Obviously, you're able to jump the line, mm. essentially. There's some truth to that. But there are places, like, like every place on the planet, almost every place, you can, through a combination of renewable energies, get to 100%, you know, by 2030. Like, we, we, when we look at Africa today, 
And we talk to heads of state and they go, yeah, but all of our consultants from the multilaterals tell us we can only do X percent by 2030 and everything has to be afterwards. And I was like, if you sign with us, we'll take you to 100% by 2027 to 2030, depending on how fast you can move your permissions. Like, and at a fraction of the cost that you're currently paying. Do you want to work together? Right. And they're, they're like incredulous until we show them the goods. Hmm. Well, I'm glad you brought up Africa because that's the next point I want to get into. Um, with your company, Gigawatt Global, looking at the scope of your endeavors, including the $2 billion solar and wind pipelines across 10 African countries. Could you talk about this and this whole project? It's, it's so a massive one project. is, I don't know if it's $2 billion yet. I, uh, like we would love it to be $2 billion, but also since that was published, the prices came down of uh, uh, a lot I of see. other things. So we're, we're working across 10 African countries, but we're being bombarded. Well, a bunch of them just had coups, but we're being bombarded by at least another half a dozen to also do there. And so demand is through the roof. The thing is, when we did the Israeli market, first in the Middle East, not just in Israel, people started coming from all over the developing world mostly and, and said, can you guys help us? And I thought that meant translating regulations or they're like, no, can you actually come? And I was like, I talked to my partners and they're like, no way. Look at the risk profile. And, and then I would say, but there's 600 million people in Africa with that power. And then go, exactly. You want to know why they don't have power? Cause they're poor and maybe they're not managed according to international standards. That's where you want to deploy. And so, um, and no one had ever done utility-scale solar in sub-Sahara Africa. But then fighting words. And so we looked at all 54 countries. We did a mapping based on about 25 different criteria. Thankfully, we picked well for the first one. The first is always the hardest. You have to show the international community your proof of concept, that you can actually take each of the steps that are necessary to de-risk so that the investments can flow, that you can actually build, interconnect, and get paid. Pretty important for our business model. And so for a variety of reasons, we picked Rwanda. Or actually, more accurately, it picked us. Um, I had a friend who... Um, uh, years after the genocide in Rwanda, she brought a speaker to Tufts for like a moral decisions um, uh, panel. And he was saying that 10 years after the genocide, there's still a million orphans just like there were. And she said, wait, what? No one's taking care of this? And so she built an orphan youth village in Rwanda called Agohoza Shalom. So it's based on, after the Holocaust, Israel took in a lot of orphan kids and kind of replicated a community and family model with these youth villages, which then essentially became like leadership academies, which is amazing. So she brings it to Rwanda. She starts there this, the same year we started in the south of Israel, the solar. And at a certain point, we matured, and she matured. And she said, why don't you come to Rwanda? And we spent, as a family, two weeks volunteering. Oh, wow. At a certain point, she puts her arm around me. Anne Heyman, who tragically died the day we went to financial close, so she never saw the fruits. And she said, 
There'll be one of those Israeli solar fields uh, after the, the school area over there. Let me have some revenue to support my kids here, 500 kids, most vulnerable kids in Rwanda. And she's one of those visionary go-getters. You don't say no to her. And, and so I said, look, Anne, no one's ever done this in Africa before. Let's, let's do it. And um, we interconnected in uh, 2014, supplying 6% of Rwanda's generation capacity. Wow. We were oversubscribed, debt and equity, and the APC contract. Everyone said it was going to fail for different reasons. It's really hard. I had a great partner working with me, Chaim Motsen. And what had happened is Obama, having, let's call it a enlightened perspective, your word, uh, towards Africa, unlike previous American presidents, he had some firsthand knowledge. He said, look, 50 years of foreign aid hasn't lifted a continent out of poverty. Maybe we need to change the equation. There's not enough money, not enough charity, not enough foreign aid. How do we mobilize the private sector that has unlimited investment capacity if they knew the risk was managed by the United States government or the international community? So he announces to great fanfare, big new initiative, Power Africa. And then nothing happened because it's infrastructure and it's Africa and you need the crazy frontier pioneer to break through. So we interconnected in Rwanda. It was a very happy day because we also needed to do it before Paris. Copenhagen before it failed because it wasn't trust between the rich countries all of a sudden said to the poor countries, oh, this climate thing, it's actually serious. Don't burn anything. And they're like, you have no moral, you burnt your way to prosperity. You can't dictate to us, like, how are we going to lift our people if we can't burn some of the stuff we have? And so it fell apart on that. And so going into Paris, the whole international community needed a third way. So we decoupled GDP growth from emissions growth. Rwanda continued their 8% growth rate without adding any emissions. Wow. And that's all because of solar, right? Because of what, what we did. I mean, I mean, there are a lot of, I think, people, I mean, I don't want to overtake too much credit, but facts on the ground speak a lot and, and, and positive investment speaks uh, a lot louder than another international study or another great speech or you got to put facts on the ground. What are your thoughts to, you know, there's some, I've heard people in the U.S. that have, are, are almost naysayers to solar. You know, they say maybe solar isn't as efficient, maybe solar, you know, doesn't, doesn't have the same capacity. What would you say to those people that deny the solar industry? They have entrenched financial older interests that they're not, I used to think about, they're not looking out for the grandchildren. They're not looking out for themselves and their children. I mean, that's the truth. America's switching, not because of um, environmentalism, because of economics, right? I mean, uh, fracking is what killed coal, right? Because right? of economics, Plenty of places realize that solar is a fraction of the cost of gas. Even solar plus storage, it doesn't have the volatility, doesn't have the greenhouse gas emissions. The Inflation Reduction Act just kind of juiced the appropriateness of it. 
You don't believe in solar? Well, come to southern Israel. I'll show you what 150% looks like during the day. And I guess I'd want to ask you that question because we, we've talked about the African region. We've talked about Israel. But looking into the U.S., I kind of want to get your thoughts just on the solar industry, where you, where you see it going in the future. Because for me, I've done a lot of research on, on something called living buildings, which are really interesting that these buildings, they generate more power than they take. Um, and they, a lot of them have solar panel roofs, mm-hmm. um, and that's how it, it powers the actual building. But, I mean, wh- what do you see as far as the U.S. in the solar industry? So the, you can divide into different pieces here. First of all, um, years ago, we were approached by uh, Georgia Power and the governor of uh, Georgia. They had tried to launch a solar program, I think, half-heartedly, and they, they came to Israel, and they're like, come and bid, cut and And we're like, we don't do bids, and we want like, to help the poorest of people. It's like, no, 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 you should do it. My investors are like, just throw something in, you know, and see. And we didn't expect this, but we won. We beat hundreds of U.S. companies um, in Glynn County at the uh, uh, Brunswick Airport. And it was the first time in the Southeast anybody came in on what's called the avoidance cost. Georgia Power is not, I mean, Southern politics, Republicans, whatever you want to, it wasn't really in their DNA. But they said, wait, you'll give... You'll just give us power for the same cost of what we're... Sure, why not? Uh, and so we nailed it. And, and that became, in a sense, this is before the IRA, that became a model for others. We, we, we decided we're, we're out of the U.S. market. It was so much about tax credit. We, we didn't really make any money. It's not like you're helping starving Africa. Like it, it was nice to do. It felt good. Showing off a little bit. But for our perspective, it wasn't, it wasn't going to be transformative for us as a company. So we decided to go back to our, our core. But certainly, utility-scale solar at the avoidance cost or better is possible all over the place. You have issues, of course, of your grid. Um, storage is going to be super important. We're doing something now in Zambia that I think could be a model for the U.S. We can learn from Africa. Right. I don't always have all the answers ourselves. We found a great location. We now have five years of bankable wind studies. So it's north of Lusaka, the capital. So the sun during the day goes like this, starts to set, the wind comes up at night. So you have load balance. You need a little storage. You, have, you need a little bit. But the notion of figuring out where you can do co-location, so you're handling what people are afraid of in terms of um, uh, base load um, and storage and the costs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't know if anybody's done that kind of mapping, but I'd encourage that. Uh, we need a transcontinental uh, uh, grid, but DC, not AC. It loses too much along the way. Like, just invest in the infrastructure and be able to sell it you know, wherever, like making an open national market using a national DC high-voltage grid, boy, let it roll. Let it roll. In terms of living buildings, it's great. I don't know. I haven't seen a model yet where they produce more than they need. But the building integrated, not just the roof, right, but for the size we're big believers in. Um, We have an Israeli company that uses um, like an ice wall somehow – 
um, for for the cooling and for um, but there's so many ways that as long as the short term thinking because it's okay it costs a little bit more to 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 build this in right but just play out the excel over the next ten to twenty years it should be a no brainer. Um, I think we actually have to start penalizing uh, developers if, if they're not building that in. Right. Well, it's, it's interesting you brought up Georgia. I'm from Georgia. Oh, wow. I'm from the Atlanta area. And okay. I, I brought up living buildings because Georgia Tech's Candida building, um, I actually had one of my last episodes was an episode on the Candida building. And even more interesting, I was at a solar panel conference at the Candida building like two months ago oh. for Georgia Solar. I'm, g- I'm going to check it out. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check it out. Look, I also think uh, across the South, um, we need to figure out how rural farmers can use some of our latest uh, innovations. What do I mean? Particularly in those uh, around the areas of the, the land foundations of the historically black colleges that are agricultural-based with the climate change, it's going to also wreak havoc, havoc with our food security, right? And water, but let's talk about food security. So Israel's about to launch 150 different pilots. It's called agrovoltaics. How do you essentially do the panels above in different configurations in a way that provides enough light and enough shading? We're using less water, not more. You're increasing yields rather than cutting into it protecting them from storms or from extreme heat. Um, this is going to be, I think, a very important new frontier, particularly for um, brown and black communities that are agriculturally based across the south and southwest. So we'd love to see how we can be a bridge towards uh, doing that. I think we often forget about the people who need it most. We was talking about the inner cities, also important, you know, um, but uh, imagine, imagine that there's two revenue streams in a time of climate uncertainty for a farmer. That's, that's a good incentive. Let's get our act right. together. Right. Yeah, in, in South Georgia, I mean, exactly what you're talking about, those areas could, could benefit from solar immensely. Um, but I, I think we're going to wrap up here, uh, um, Yosef. But it, it was so nice talking to you. And I, I learned. I think I just had a whole master class on solar. I mean, uh, you, you just gave it all to me. So so thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and I'll definitely take this back to Georgia and hopefully uh, change people's minds. I do. Thank you very much, Preston. I do want to say there's going to be trillions of dollars moving now. It's a great, it's the biggest business opportunity in the history of humanity. Right, I don't mean just invest in us and all that kind of stuff, but you should move your money now away from fossil fuels. There's going to be stranded assets very, very quickly. And who wants the volatility of that? When you have revenue streams that are predictable for 25 years at a fraction of the cost. Move your money, move it to Gigawatt, move it to other platforms and, and pioneers on this. And don't forget also the most vulnerable people. Us or in Africa. Awesome. Shine on.